You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles. The projectionist has smicha. Hi, I'm here with Yitzhak Olegowski, and we're here, I guess, to um, present to you drushes about old movies. Um, Sometimes we talk about vintage TV. I don't know if we're going to get into that tonight. Uh, but we definitely have some some uh, old movie classics that I think uh, are worthwhile checking out. One of them, quite an old movie, actually. The one I'm going to be talking about is one of the, it's from the really early era, the pre-code era of talkies. But Yitzchak, let's start you off. And, and I guess, you know, our theme tonight, I guess we'll call it Doctors Without Borders. <laughs> <laughs> Which we know, of course, is a very wonderful um, organization that sends doctors all over the world. But I think our doctors tonight are definitely without borders, especially the one, the doctor you're going to be talking about. So go ahead. All right. Well, I I have heard of this movie for many years. Uh, It was even referenced on The Simpsons once. And I never managed to actually see the movie because I... I tend to try to stick to older movies. This for me is a new movie because it's a little over 50 years old now. So for me, that's new. Um, but it, it has one of the great horror actors. And this is, I think, really quite possibly one of his most iconic roles as Vincent Price in the abominable Dr. Fibes uh, from 1971. And it's a very, very strange very campy movie and just the you know it's the way it's presented is very different because there's no mystery really per se in the film we know exactly what's going on it's you know there's a series of murders that are based on on the Esser Makos you know that's the one part of this is that all of the there uh, even though it's 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 presented in a strange very strange way and and not in in the proper order and i i kind of figured out you know how this order came to be but in, in any event it's a story about a a concert organist who was an expert in music and theology who he and his wife were said to have who uh, died in a car crash in 1921 so that would be 50 years before uh before the movie came out and he there was a, a team of doctors and nurses a total of nine people who were working on trying to save uh, dr Fibes' wife who is not credited but the she appears only in still pictures throughout the movie and is actually uh, Caroline Monroe, who uh, we're looking forward to seeing next month at Monster Bash. She, she, we've seen her a few times at different uh, conventions, and she's scheduled to to uh, be in person at, at Monster Bash. So that'll be interesting. Uh, but in any event... And of course, she you, you see her as this beautiful um, woman who um, Dr. Fibes... Um, did survive the crash, right? She's this, you only see her in the pictures from the past. Right. She didn't survive and Fives has survived. And albeit in a very, uh, you know, uh, mangled and uh, horrific form. Right. But you don't, you don't know how mangled he is, right? Do you know that pretty much right away that he's. There, that they, there is a hint to it, but it's not revealed. Meaning you, you see in the, be- you know, closer to the beginning of the movie where, He's taking an ear, he's taking a nose, he's all the prosthetics. Uh, you know. So you realize that the, yeah. the you know, the, you know, you have basically you have Vincent Price in sort of like pancake makeup walking around, but the, the, the film implies that he really is much, to, that he's scarred and, 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 and terrible underneath that mask, which is, of course, yeah. Vincent Price's face in makeup. So really, this Dr. Fibes uh, has also, um, survived but at a terrible price and he's taking revenge right on 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 on, on the people who worked on his wife right all right. these on all these doctors and so, and so since there's nine or ten people involved he he uses the esser makos as as the uh, archetype for each of the way that he takes his revenge and murders the mm-hmm. the people that he blames for 
even though it, it wasn't even really medical malpractice. It was uh, they tried their best and they uh, uh, that's how it's uh, it's presented. And, and yet one by one, they're killed off in very outlandish manners. And before they're killed, uh, he has this uh, another beautiful woman as his assistant who's dressed in, uh, you know, very stylishly, tastefully. You know, there's nothing inappropriate of how she's dressed, but she's dressed you know, as a stylish model, uh, and and they do these you know dance sequences with a, mm-hmm. a, a whole robots playing music just before they go and and do this very you know whatever strange manner of of killing someone that they do one now the the uh, actual order of the makos and how they interpret them are rather strange, but she might be playing the violin while they're killing the the victims and so forth the, the first one uh is uh he and then after they kill each of the their victims they have a necklace a necklace of some sort of an amulet that has an, in hebrew the name of the maka and they uh, and he puts it around the neck of uh a a, a face a bust in in uh, uh a um wax bust of the victim and he burns the face with the necklace on with the name of the maka in hebrew around and then at one at one of the early makos he he leaves the necklace by accident and that's that's kind of how he starts that's the, oh that's the clue and i know that uh you know the, the first one we see they're releasing some and it almost is like a james bond type of thing uh, they're releasing these bats uh, into lowering into into this person's bedroom, the victim's bedroom, and the bats come and somehow the bats represent the the mock of Dever, and I, I don't really see what the what the connection is to be honest, but uh, that's that's the way that it, that it's presented. Yeah, well, and I and I think there is like the and there's a rabbi in the movie too, right? So that that's what happens once. So they find the jeweler who made these these uh, amulets of the ten makos. And then uh, he said, explains that they're Hebrew. So then they go and speak to a rabbi. And the rabbi says, oh, this is the Datsach, like, you know, the Tzach of the Bachav, which is the curse of the Pharaoh. And he brings out, you know, he has these scrolls sitting there. And he brings out the scroll and it opens up and it has the Eser Makos. And I guess he's reading it left to right instead of right to left. So the, the order of the Makos how we understand he has uh, Sephardia and then Dom, and you know, like it's 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 each one backwards. And the rabbi, of course, played by that great Jewish actor Hugh Griffith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not exactly Jew, but he, he no. definitely he definitely has he uh, a nice Jewish look to him. I, I, I you know, I, I told you Yitzchak about it. Of course, the movie also, of course, the co-star is, is Joseph Cotton, who you know, in his time, uh, for a period in the nineteen forties was a much bigger star than Vincent Price was. Now, Vincent Price was playing uh, character roles and, you know, sometimes, you know, the seedy bad guy, you know, that started like in the late... And at the end, they, they have a direct confrontation. It's kind of building up to that to that uh, part where where Cotton is, is designed to be either the final victim or... Right, because he's he seems to have been the main uh, doctor that was attending Fibes' wife. So right. he's building up, he's going to be the final one to get revenge on. Um, and we don't want to spoil anything, but did, did you think there was um, any drama and fear in it? I know it, it's sometimes billed as comedy horror. What, what was, did it, did, I, I know you watched it on Svengooli. Did it, did it take you? Were you, were you, like, were you, in, were you in, 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 like mesmerized by it? Was it something that you were really involved in? You know, the, the, what what really stri- strikes me particularly is is the camp value of it of how you know outlandish these each of these murders are and the way it's presented and the the drama that's entered into that but there's there really isn't there is not really that element of mystery because we see it all happening we we're kind of you know it's it's, it's a given thing i wanted to to talk for a minute about the 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 appearance of the rabbi in the movie, it, it reminds me of another movie that was, I think, maybe three, four years before that, not as well known of a film and not as good of a film. It was called It, 
the terror of the golem uh, with uh, Roddy McDowell as uh, as a, a character who's kind of pretty much a, a ripoff of Norman Bates, really, uh, but who manages somehow to to take hold of a golem and and use it to commit various murders and things, and then uh, the and and so too they have a very similar scene, you know, again a brief scene. It's not that the rabbi is the the great hero of this movie, but just very briefly, they go and talk to a rabbi. And again, you have this very strange, you know, kind of non sequitur type of approach where, you know, the rabbi is talking about, you know, the, uh, the 19th century and the 20th century and the 21st century. And, and that these are all in some kind of uh, a, uh, a mystical Jewish uh, text, which was, would actually, you know, obviously be a non sequitur to be talking about the Christian sem- uh, centuries uh, in a Jewish context, you know, and he's translating this Kabbalistic text or something and about the, the world coming to an end. And it's a very similar type of, uh, you know, I, I was, it's a, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Hollywood was familiar enough with, you know, Jewish aspects to put them in films, but you can't really expect anything close to authenticity. You also have a similar scene in the famous X-Files uh, episode of Kaddish, yeah where uh, they also, Mulder and Scully, go to find out about the golem as well um, and how the golem is made and, you know, and what's going on and how to read a certain text. So I think it's pretty standard fare, like, yeah. uh, to go to the expert in that arcane wisdom. And for people like us who are steeped in that wisdom or at least more knowledgeable, for us to find it quite laughable. And again, you know, we know it's escape is fair. And I think... Uh, Fibes, although it spawned a, it did spawn a sequel, which <laughs> again I can't say that I've seen either of the films, but I guess the fact that you're recommending them, that you feel that they they have camp value, but they probably uh, again you you mentioned uh, um, Vincent Price's acting, and 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 there is I guess a sense of as you say, although you know, to me Joseph Cotton was pretty much washed up by this point, but there was a certain sense of uh, of drama as well, seeing these you know, the, the final standoff. Yes. Uh, in a, a reaction video to, to various Jewish scenes and, and, and some of them are, are quite ridiculous. Yeah, look, and of course, listen, I think that's going to be always the case, whether it's The Chosen or The Stranger Among Us or any, any films that feature, you know... I mean, Judy. The Stranger Among Us wasn't a very good movie, but I think it was... It captured fairly accurate compared to a lot of these other movies, you know. No, no, that... no. I agree. I agree. But again, we could, we, you know. Uh, but as you know, we we are <laughs> we're very happy when when rabbis and Jews show up in movies because it gives us yeah. something to nitpick on and to find amusing, or sometimes to actually admire as a positive role model. But yeah. uh, Fibes is was was obviously obviously rang a bell with people because the, the sequel came out I guess about a year or two later. So yeah, it, I mean the thing was was that American International Pictures that released the film didn't realize uh, how popular it would be because they they didn't they didn't really recognize it as being this this you know great film in any way and they because uh, they you know American International they produced you know tons and tons of very cheap movies. But they often would hit a certain mark that they managed to really do it right. You know that. They... Well, well, what's funny though is, of course, that you know, I'm just looking at the uh, Doctor Fibes rises again. Hugh Griffith, who played the rabbi in the first one, actually has a role in there as well, playing a, a role called Harry Ambrose. Um, and uh, Terry Thomas, who was one of the doctors killed off by Fibes, he comes back. And Doctor Fibes rises again, playing another character uh, called Lombardo, which is he's uh, always great in, in any of his comedy. Uh, yeah, right, and of course they have a different <laughs> Volnavia. They have a different. Uh, it looks like they couldn't get the same uh, the same uh, uh, woman assistant as it would be, because um, she was somewhat interchangeable. But I guess look, definitely a curiosity worth seeing. I happen to think that it's great if you go to the. Um, if you go to the IMDb, IMDb page and you check out all the different 
um, posters that were um, that were used for uh, for Fibes that America International decided to uh, put out, sort of recognizing that this was a film people would have fun with, sort of like you know, I guess it was before the Rocky Horror Picture Show craze. But I, you know, I love the poster. Love never means having to say you're ugly. You know, obviously uh, a a a nod to Love Story, uh, which of course was again was one of these films. Um, and again, you know, Dr. Fibes' origins, you know, somewhat similar to the comics, uh, Mr. Freeze, you know, taking yeah. revenge on the people for what happened to his wife. Um, and uh, I think it's a, uh, n- not much of an indictment on doctors in general. I mean, obviously he's crazy, right? It isn't really. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing is that the, we, he, he's one of these anti-heroes because we're so fascinated by what he's doing, but we know that he's, quite evil doing doing and and his and his victims are all innocent no they you know, he he's convinced that they murdered his wife when they really tried their best to help and that's you know it, it, it really captures a certain level of of mental illness of how you know people and and the lack of a car said oh they, they, nobody had any any intention certainly not murder to go you know it could talk about negligence and being being manslaughter, being a, a shogig, but there was no, there was certainly nobody was amazed at trying to to kill her, but he was convinced that that's the case. And how how often in in smaller things, you know, we can't have our mind open and we get trapped into this this you know circle of revenge and and the danger really well, the I, that we could get of, of how. I see. Why, why, why the Torah tells us like like so strongly that even in a small thing of borrowing, you know, the way Chazal tell us, you know, if if you know someone wants to borrow something and they don't give it, and you and you're not even to take that type of a small type of a nakama because it's such a a, a virus that enters into it's an eris, it's a venom that enters into a person's bloodstream. All right. And it's very dangerous. It could drive a person insane. Yes, yes. I I hear where you're going with this. Of course, uh, when you're involved in a car accident and, you know, who knows what sort of damage went to your frontal lobe, what would happen there? I assume that that could accelerate any sort of bad, violent tendencies. Uh, But I would actually speculate, and I think it's a segue to the film I want to talk about, is that part of the reason why Fibes blames the doctors is because we put so much even the 1920s and this is really gets into the uh, heart of our film the one i want to talk about uh, doctors were had, had replaced priests doctors had replaced priests as the uh, all knowledgeable people with answers who could do what was needed they were the ones who you you put your hope in they were the ones who we exaggerate how much they could do because they are the men of science. They are the men who have the magic in their fingers. They are the ones who have trained so well. They have the most um, complicated and um, progressive machinery to realize um, the people who wrote the screenplay about why it makes sense he's going to take it out on the doctors. Um, I think that's probably where you see it. You're the ones who could have done it. You're the ones who had the knowledge. You're the ones who were gifted. You're the ones who could have saved them. You must have done something wrong. You must, it must be you because it can't be anyone else. You're the gods. You're the angels. You're the ministers. And therefore, I will use something beyond science to destroy you. I will go back to the days before uh, white coats people became the priests. I'm going to go back to the days of the biblical powers. And that could be really maybe what's going on there. You can accept it or not accept it. But what I want to talk about, of course, is the 1931 film based on the 1925 Pulitzer Prize winning novel by Sinclair Lewis called Aerosmith. This film was made in 1931. And it's, as I said, pre-code, and it was directed by John Ford. And most people, of course, know Ford for his Westerns and maybe for The Quiet Man or maybe some other films. This is a little bit of a lesser known film for Ford. However, at its time, it was considered a uh, it got a number of Academy Awards uh, nominations. Uh, People really considered it a great, great film for its time. It's a film that is somewhat um, faded away in people's minds. Um, uh, There was, of course, uh, Sinclair Lewis was the popular writer of his day, uh, 
despite, you know, he won the Pulitzer Prize for uh, Aerosmith. But of course, his great bestseller was Main Street, where he exposed the foibles and the hypocrisy of small town America. People, of course, were believing, you know, that people, especially, you know, when they talked about what was wrong with the um, the urbanization and the ultra mechanization of America, Upton Sinclair, who bemoaned the slums and the terror of what was going on in the big cities and the abattoirs of, of the stockyards. Sinclair Lewis turned his beam toward small town America, which many people thought was so fraught with, it was ripe with, with, with good morals and character. And that's where we're going to save American from. And of course, Sinclair Lewis. It, it makes me think of uh, Tom Lehrer had a song about my little town and he, he talks about all the debauchery and, and sin that took place at, and that and he's talking about you know in a very nostalgic sweet way like oh i remember all these great things in my little town and they were really quite quite horrific and sure. interesting and and that that's very- really, that, that's really why Sinclair Lewis was um popular because he was a satirist who exposed small towns uh of course we've talked here on this program before about Elmer Gantry uh, the film where he takes on, um, you know, the evangelist movement and the whole idea of 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 the the depths of religion in these small cities and what it, what's what it's built on and who are the uh, schlockmeisters that are preying on uh, the people. Aerosmith was his way of attacking the new gods, the gods of medicine. Um, he felt that not that he was arguing for religion. He just felt that, um, and this uh, this was based on a meeting that he had uh, with uh, someone who had uh, um, resigned the Rockefeller Institute because of the ultra commercialization of medicine. There was this idea of you know, pushing the doctors as the new uh, heroes and, and and featuring them in glossy magazines and basically pushing you know the fascination with being able to cure diseases and being involved as you know, because that was really in those three first three decades of the 20th century, so much knowledge about how disease worked and how germs spread. Um, so the doctors were these were, were, were pushed as celebrities. And uh, Lewis was really against this. He was really even against, which is very interesting. He was even against the idea of the hometown doctor. He felt that the hometown doctor was also in a way like the town celebrity. And he felt that what was what was constructed in the medical world, and you mentioned Fauci and others, was a sort of fealty, a non-thinking, and the doctors themselves weren't focusing on what was really needed to be done. Which I mean, was, I, I'm living, living in a small town, you know, I, I've seen that, you know, the, the doctor in the small town, he, he is the doctor of the town, and then he tries to run uh, for a local politician <laughs> right like, like, he, he's somebody he wasn't Matsliach, but like is a yiddish akin here he just retired from his doctor uh practice after i don't know 40 years maybe and then uh you know he, he he the other thing is like he's trying to sell the building where the practice was and he, he expects he'll get a million dollars but he, <laughs> he invests his whole life into this and now you know the 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 manner in which these things are done has changed, and you know we have uh, and, and, and 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 which is it's strange, you know. Again, Jack- the other side of the political spectrum, the uh, the other doctor, uh, Doctor Zelenko, uh, you know, <laughs> he was he was he was for, for decades the doctor of Curiosol, and then once you know, the, again, even within that community, that you know, he was he was a local celebrity in Curiosol and a, a, a Lubavitcher Chassid, but he. In the Satmar community, he was he was the the doctor, and he still is for a lot of people. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, in the way the way we look at medicine changed. Uh, it, it you know he had to close down, and he's not well now. He's he's dealing with his own health issues. But but Zelenko, at least you know when COVID um, uh, erupted, Zelenko. And again, I don't really know all the facts, but at least what was promoted about him was that he went back into the lab and tried to do his best to figure out a way to stave off this illness and a way to to perhaps combat it in an effective fashion. And I think that what Sinclair Lewis writes about in the novel Aerosmith is that 
what happens is, is that doctors stop becoming scientists. True, they treat people and they therefore create, they become social animals, but science at large suffers. And the ability for the human mind to focus, not in a political way and not in a social way, but to treat the disease and the problem completely scientifically and objectively means in Lewis's mind that the person has to become almost a hermit and almost not connected as like, oh, shucks, I'm this, you know, this great doctor who's helping people, right? Because it's true. There might be some cows that die. There might be some people who, who, who you're not going to be able to deliver their babies. But at least the great minds should be working on solving the great problems, the, the, uh, the, the great diseases, the scourges of that, 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 are, that are ripping through countries and killing but people. The same thing is in every profession, though. The same thing is... You're right. In, 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 but, the, but, in the rabbinate, but, but, for sure, you know, like the, 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 the you know, the old thing was, you know, don't, don't give this younger man smicha because then he won't learn anymore. You know? <laughs> right. So this is really what Lewis was arguing about. And, and Aerosmith's arc in this book is an arc of someone who, um, you know, is, finds himself constantly within this struggle. Uh, and, and this was very daring uh, for Lewis to, to do, to actually be willing to say that, you know, even the great Rockefeller Institute, and which he calls the McGurk Institute in, in, in New York, or um, even those institutes are really, in a way, uh, sacrificing pure science for celebrity. And Aerosmith comes under, in the book, uh, comes under the influence of a old Jewish, a brilliant doctor, Max Gottlieb, who is the one who tells him that, you know, you can become a research assistant. He's the one who advises him not to become a local doctor. Um, but he keeps on crossing paths with um, with Gottlieb throughout the book, um, because Gottlieb, because of his genius, you know, is is part of the, I guess, industrial medical world. But Gottlieb still represents pure science. Now, in the book, um, the 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 last portion of the book is about um, a, 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 a outbreak of a type of plague in the West Indies, and um, Aerosmith goes there uh, with his wife who in a way represents a, a perfect uh, helpmate for him, uh, although you know, uh, she's, she becomes, uh, she's a nurse and then you know, she, she's, she's not able to have children uh, because of miscarriages and she becomes his helpmate uh, and she goes with him out to the West Indies where he is supposed to um, do what he can in terms of saving the community. But more than that, he's supposed to work because he has somehow stumbled upon um, a vaccine that wasn't something that it was almost by chance, but he's hoping that he can work this out and perhaps modify it for use in the West Indies. And um, Gottlieb tells him that he should stick to his scientific principles, which is to have a blind study in order to to really confirm that the vaccine works as opposed to just giving it to everyone. And that, of course, is the great test that, 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 that he has. Um, and that is retained in, 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 the, in, the, in the film as well. So I should tell you, I read the book when I was 14 years old, and it really, um, I think I was 13 when I read it, but uh, it really had a tremendous impression upon me, especially Gottlieb, because I saw this as, 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 as almost the same idea of, of being a great Talmudist. You mentioned about a rabbi getting smicha. I, I saw Gottlieb's argument to Aerosmith as really what the great Rosh Hashivas would be saying uh, to their best students. Um, I didn't discover the film until many, many years later because I said it was it, it lingered someone in obscurity. And the film stars, and now we get to the film itself, and, and it really, it, it's difficult to take uh, such a powerful um, a, a, a film, a book, even in the pre-code era, and turn it into uh, a film that justifies its source material. And uh, you know, it, it starred Ronald Coleman, who in many ways was the perfect talky hero, at least for the early 1930s. 
uh, you know, true, Douglas Fairbanks looked great. Uh, we talked, of course, about other great stark and, and, and swathy and handsome men, but he had the voice to go with it, as you know. Uh, it's a voice that's been imitated often by impressionists. But really, of course, completely unbelievable as a Midwestern kid who discovers science. Hey, Ronald Kelman, you know, I mean, <laughs> right? it's very hard to see him as I'm just some boy from Elk, Elk Village, uh, you know, whatever Midwestern country, state he comes from. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, they, they, there wasn't much of a choice. He definitely was considered at the time, you know, what was, you know, what was the, uh, the look that you would expect. Um, Helen Hayes uh, is in the uh, cast. She plays his wife, the nurse uh, that I was talking about. And of course, Helen Hayes was, was known as the first lady of American theater. Um, I remember the first film I ever saw with Helen Hayes was a film that she made um, uh, about 40 years later to this was called Airport. I don't know if you've ever seen Airport, but it was a big hit among the Jewish community in Memphis when I was growing up. Everybody was talking about Airport. Of course, Helen Hayes plays an old woman who was on the plane with, uh, and if, you know, there's no spoiler here, Van Heflin is the... Uh, <laughs> he's the crazed guy who wants to blow the plane up. Um, and, you know, uh, I remember, you know, Helen Hayes there and people say, oh, that's Helen Hayes. Uh, she was really in, in a way much more of a, of a theater artist than she was a, a movie star, though she, she wasn't a number of important films. She was in a number of important films in the 1930s. Um, the, uh, the film actually does, I believe, a very um, a moving um, portrayal of her death um, because um, because she accompanies her husband to this uh, West Indies island and and there she also catches the, the 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 disease and John Ford has a very beautiful image of how of 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 her passing away. Um, there's also you know he I think the film and I don't remember this character from the book although I might be mistaken but. When Aerosmith goes down, you know, after he's, you know, developed somewhat as a as a great medical person, and they send him down to this to this island, as I said, um, he discovers that the politicians at the main island will not let him perform his experiments and do the study. So he goes to one of the side islands, and he's helped by a character that um, I feel is one of the most positive. Um, portrayals of a black character in 1930s film, and that's Clarence Brooks, who plays Dr. Oliver Marchand. Now, Clarence Brooks, along with someone I know you know, Noble Johnson, I believe, um, who was in King Kong. Um, uh, am I getting the name right? I think so, right? Um, uh, Brooks and and yeah, he pl he played the the chief of the right. So Brooks and Noble Johnson and a number of other black performers formed uh, a co a sort of consortium to called the Lincoln uh, Players that they wanted to promote a much better image of blacks in films. Um, and and I, I I am sure that it was because of his. Uh, spirited principled stand on this that Clarence Brooks plays a character who's a doctor perhaps even the equal of Aerosmith in terms of his knowledge and in terms of what he's able to do and uh, he, he is his uh, helper down in the West Indies he mentions how he's came from he comes from Howard University of course an all-black college and he in no way is sort of like, well, where are we going to put the, uh, the luggage master? He doesn't have a bone in his nose. He's not some, right? He actually plays a sophisticate and someone who's able to, uh, that, that Aerosmith finds a kindred spirit within him. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful role for people to see and recognize that there's there, there, the pre-code Hollywood wasn't just all about let's get shots of people taking their clothes off if we can get away with it. Um, there was, I think, even a more advanced and, and more positive aspect of, of, of African-Americans, um, uh, you know, in society. And you can see that in this film. Um, the, uh, there's also a small part played by Myrna Loy. Um, Myrna Loy was, uh, uh, had, Myrna Loy actually 
was in a number of silent films as well. She had a very long career. Uh, we've spoken about her her incredible beauty that she retained, you know, way way throughout her life. Uh, she's mostly famous, I guess, as being uh, Nora Charles, um, Nick Charles' wife, in those detective films that we I, I referenced a couple of weeks ago. But she had a very very long career, and for years she played in the in the silent films, and even some of the early talkies, she played the femme fatale or the oriental vamp who was there with no good on her heart. Uh, in this film, she plays a sort of like a, fl- a flighty socialite who happens to be on the island. And the, in pre-code fashion, the film implies that Aerosmith has an affair with her while his wife is on the other island um, and doesn't even know that she's dead. So there is that that you wouldn't have gotten post the code. But unlike the book where he actually marries her um, and she becomes Aerosmith's second wife, um, and Aerosmith once again, you know, deals with because she's very much into the highfalutin world of the New York aristocracy, and he has to, you know, fight against her. In the film, they sort of like imply there was some connection, but when she comes to him uh, after he gets back to after he gets back to New York, um, you know, he he dismisses her advances. Uh, the film, like the book does have the uh, when he comes back and they want to turn him into this magazine star for how he has saved people on the island of course as i mentioned he didn't do the double blind test so even though he saved people the vaccine itself is considered still unusable in terms of mass production because it's only incidental he he did not stick to the science enough because after his wife died he felt that that's the only thing he could do he didn't want people he didn't want to take the chance that anyone would die so there were no placebos given out so in a way he as much as he understands that he was taken up by the emotional push to be to do that to be the human being the scientist in him and coleman i think accurately conveys this in the film realizes that he's failed and he comes to speak to Gottlieb to sort of like get his mechila for not being the scientist he should have but by this time Gottlieb has suffered a stroke and Gottlieb is not is nothing close to who he was but even you know the, the you know Gottlieb is not played by a Jew in the film um Gottlieb is played by a um a uh an English a stage actor A.E. Anson who was very well known in, in in the in the British stage? I don't think he. I I think he only was in one or two films, and I think he came to the United States in order to play this part. Um, and uh, he does an effective job uh, conveying in this cold, austere way what science is about. Well, anyway, at the end of the film, no spoiler here if you're familiar with it. Uh, um, Aerosmith decides that he's going to resign from this prestigious um, thing, this prestigious institute and go out somewhere and just work on science with his old friend that, uh, that he had from, from medical school and become that hermit that, that you need to be. So, so, you know, again, you know, we've, we've talked about films of doctors before Yitzchak. We mentioned uh, the last angry man. I mentioned um, uh, people will talk, with Paul Muni and, and Cary Grant, you, know, you could probably talk about, um, you know, uh, the story of Louis Pasteur uh, with Paul Muni uh, again as this, you know, heroic doctor. Um, and this film is really, you know, it, 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 it's 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 willing not to take a very drastic and really, un, I think, unconventional approach. And in that way, I think it was somewhat true to what, what Lewis wanted. Um, you know that that ultimately um, we we perhaps are we're, we're we're putting too much faith in our doctors. Our doctors themselves are being are, are in a way not uh, allowing celebrity, as you mentioned before, to cloud their uh, their their decision making, and the the and the populace at large, the ones whose pocketbooks are funding them are also have a um, a larger than life misconception about what 
a doctor's role in society should be. And basically, you know, um, you know the 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 film is, you know, especially if you if you supposedly have the type of mind that someone like Martin Arrowsmith has, that what you should do is realize that you might not see that changing of the world in front of you and, and get that feel good and get those pictures on the wall of all the, the kids that love it, that you gave them, you know, little candies, you know, et cetera. But the world past your life, the world that, that, that hopefully is yet to come will be a world that will be so much more enhanced by your research and what you've discovered. But the and, question has to be is, you know, is it right to, you know, if he, if he saves all these lives, I mean, I mean, it's an obvious question. I don't, I, I don't have to bring it up. It's just, you know, is, is it perhaps a critique of the scientific method? Meaning he knew it worked. He knew he didn't need to do, he didn't need to follow the scientific method. He didn't need the, to, to have the double blind. He didn't need to have the control uh, group in order to, to prove his findings. He knew it worked. He's, he saved these people's lives. So was well, it, again, he saved so, some of them. Remember, it wasn't a magic potion that we knew worked, right? There, was, there were people that, that got it that, who did not succumb to the disease. But it wasn't, you know, he wasn't necessarily able to figure out also to, to perfect the vaccine as well. So, yeah, you're right, Yitzchuk. I, listen, I, you know, I would not have been able to... Uh, Omid in the Soyun, right? But as we know with COVID and other things, I mean, this is a, a film that really brings up something that, that that is still quite relevant today, which is, you know, um, you know the, how, what is the, you know, people, you talked about uh, the Dr. Zelenko. Um, I think one of the critiques that, that you heard from people like Dr. Zelenko and others was that why isn't, why isn't my, uh, uh, my cure being pushed why why isn't it being offered why is the, why do we have all these controls from the cdc and others saying that we have to test it and and further and further right i mean correct it's a, i think you 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 are hearing that that and maybe that's what you mean when you say the you know the the scientific method might be in some ways just a, 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 a being used by people to 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 actually use it as a power grab not to allow things happening yeah, I, I, outside again, of control it, it, it depends on the situation and and uh, you know if you if you if you can see something you know if uh, apparently you know the claim is that, you know I, I again i don't really mean to get into the politics right now i mean because i could darshan about the politics forever and there's too much to talk about but and the claim that dr Slenko is making that he, he was very he had a very high success rate with with his protocols that he developed and and like you said it's I, I i do think it is certainly a a powerful thing that you know someone who has been in the medical profession so long and usually by that time you know the, the cliche is you always want to go to a teaching hospital because if, if uh, you know people who are already set in their ways they're not going to accomplish things but you're right that he went he went back to the drawing board and and there is a certain heroism whether or not people agree with with all of his views and i'm i'm probably more on his side uh but i know a lot of people who have really vilified him tremendously uh because of his his you know his belief in some certain you know things ideas of that people might characterize as uh conspiracy theories and things that that he and certain language that he's chosen to use I know he's he's gotten a lot of criticism about it, but nonetheless, he, he's, the the proof is in the pudding. If he if he's matzliach, uh, you know, and and he is and he is saving people, and 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 uh, you know, so what you know, what kind of an argument do we have against? I, I understand. I'm just saying that I think that the the issues that Aerosmith really brings forth, I think, are in many ways a lot more um, subtle and contemporary than some of these other films uh that we've mentioned i think that you know i i can't say that they are i can't say aerosmith is a better film than the last angry man or people will talk because it isn't 
uh, it suffers, you know, John Ford was obviously rushing the end, which is, you know, it doesn't have any of the, um, the chain of the beginning. They say that uh, Ford, um, you know, uh, was, 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 was a very difficult uh, director to manage. Um, this was a Goldwyn film. I don't know if it was MGM. I know it was Samuel Goldwyn was, was the producer of it. And I know that, um, you know, <laughs> he supposedly had strict orders about not letting Ford get close to a bottle of a booze while he was making the film. But I think it's a film that that is worthwhile uh, thinking about. And maybe even as, again, as I mentioned with the Smothers Brothers a couple of weeks ago, I think that it's always great to go back, you know, and source material. And and I think this really is a, as you know, Yitzhak, it's a sort of a pet peeve of mine that, you know, when, when you have, uh, when you have a, a novel that, that I'm, I'm, it's far from perfect, but is very carefully constructed. I think many times screenwriter, screenwriters uh, have a hard time knowing what to cut out, what to excise, uh, especially if it's a novel that is popular and people expect certain characters uh, to be prominent in them. Um, I sometimes feel like, you know, Hitchcock had it right that he took, other than uh, Rebecca, which of course was, um, you know, a very famous novel by uh, a short story or a novel by Daphne de, de, de Maurier, um, Hitchcock took a lot of obscure material and was able to say, look, you know, the, the author is gone. Um, and, and I think that the film suffers uh, because of that. But I think that, uh, you know, if, if, if what I, if we're saying tonight could get people back to thinking about this, you know, I, I think it's something that is still, um, it still needs to be understood. Um, what is the, and, 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 and the way I would say it, and I know it sounds very elitist, I would say that the, the GPs and the, the fellows that are working the community, they don't need to be the best and the brightest. The ones that can be, that are detected at an early age have the, the, the scientific method almost hunch-like you know, in their genes to be able to figure out how to work on stuff, who have the dogged determination, who have the brilliance, I think should be shunted towards um, you know, research. And I think that the ones that have... To a certain extent, it's the same thing in the rabbinate. I agree. We have we have our post game that we go to, and you don't really necessarily... You, you know, a, a charismatic uh, rabbi who could give a good drasha, who might not be the biggest Talmud Chochem, but who's a, who his nichna to das Torah, and, he, and, right. and he's a mamin, and he, and he has good hashkafas, uh, has his position in, in the... In the rabbinate, and as long as he's machni himself to to a poisik who right. Unfortunately, what happens to many of these rabbis because again we push them because their people skills. That again we have the the poison that 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 Clinton Lewis was talking about was, you know, the balabatim who who are funding them end up becoming uh, you know more important than the dastayra. We know when it when it comes to poiskim, into let's say to only be a rosh Shiva but not also have experience in Rabonis, you're you're separated from the people and and you can't really render a, a proper sock only as rosh Shiva. yeah it, it, it has to be of bezden veram has to be both you have to have the the balance of both if, if you were yeah. not if someone who was never a community rub you know all, all, all of our great poiskim and all of our great rosh Shiva. We're also Rabbonim, even if That's that true. wasn't a central part of their... No, you're right. And look, Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Brisker uh, was able to amazingly do that. His The way he was a Rav and Brisk, the way it's described in, 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 in many, many sources, shows you the incredible, uh, how much he was given over uh, to his community. Of course, my Rav uh, and, and Rav Nota Greenblatt, uh, we've talked, of course, about him and his ability to actually, uh, you know, straddle both worlds. But it is a very difficult thing to do. And uh, obviously, I would say the difference here is, you know, listen, you know, this, 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 this program we've really gotten on our, <laughs> if you didn't think we were rabbis up until now, anybody listening to this show says those two rabbis, they bored the heck out of me. But I would say Tyra is a little bit different because, the Torah, the Ma'orshaboy, Machzirul Mutav, the Torah keeps you honest. And although we do have a lot of fiends in the rabbinic world who snuck in, most people are 
are elevated and changed and kept honest. So even though people do become uh, involved and, and, and if you do have those social skills, you should perhaps be darshaning and being out there and visiting and helping people and being that person uh, who knows how to glad hand. But it, 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 you need to be able to make that time to be the researcher out in the woods. You need that time to cut. There's a certain amount of time that you don't get the phone calls. There's a time when you, you're you in the base medrash, you're in your, whether it's your house or a base medrash in your city, or you have your chavruses, and you need to be that person. Um, I, I think Lilmoid Alamed, there's, there's a story by the by the by the Choyze. I think they say that the Sanzarov only once ever saw the Choyze, and he was a he was not even a Bacher yet. He was a little he was a, a child under Bar Mitzvah, and the, the you know everyone was in line for to go to give Kvitlach to the Choyze, and they and then uh, and and then uh, he said, all right, I have to take a break. And then, uh, and then the Choyza called over Sanzarov when he was when he was in the way. It was a Shinovar. I don't remember who it was when he was a little child. He says, "Yingle herzi, I don't learn in Vizoitz. It's learning a kvittel. It's a child. I'm going to teach you how to be a rebbe, how to read a kvittel." And he said, and he he was he was walking back and forth, saying over the Mishnayis Eizu Mekoyman because he said that the Koyach of the Torah. Is what gave him the koyach to 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 learn a kvittel. to be a rebbe. He, 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 he realized he had to recharge those batteries by by learning mishnayos, by by learning Torah, wow. and that that's what would give him the power to the, in the siyata deshmaya to give a bracha and to give an eitz or whatever. Yeah, well, now you're actually going into even an area beyond that Yitzchak, which of course you know when we talk about a rebbe like the Debre Chaim, who was the Paisa Kador, besides being probably the greatest rebbe of his time in many ways, you're talking about someone who. Um, not only was able to strike that balance, but as far as we're concerned, from our perspective, was Zoha to Ruch HaKodesh, was Zoha to all the Madregas that the Mesut Sharm has speaks about and beyond, where you actually go to Ruch HaKodesh and the things, that the brachas that you give are Poyo Yeshuos. And again, that's all part of the of the, the incredible mystical nature of, 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 of even meat and potatoes learning right. and what it means. Which I think again makes this discussion related in some ways to the rabbinic world, but incredibly different and importantly different between the chachma of Taira and even the chachma of that the rabbinic shalom was Taivea in the Bria about mafliya uh, lasois about how human beings um, are able to to withstand disease and. And as we say, I guess it's worthwhile, this is still a year, to say that it's all with the Rabbani Shom. And of course, that, that, that is a whole different perspective than <laughs> whether it's Dr. Fibes or uh, Dr. Aerosmith. Um, that's something which I, I guess neither of them really uh, partake of. Well, that's about it, my friends. Watch your step on the way out. We'll catch you next week. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.